red button. Conversation set free. Red button. So, hello and welcome to Red Button here on Cone Radio. Comfortably? Good. Then we'll begin. So welcome to Red Button here on Colm Radio, our later evening conversation show coming live to you from Studio One at Colm Radio Towers. My name's Bill Lawrence and I'm with Bob May and our special guest today is Greg Barker, the football fan's football fan and Colm Radio's very own voice of football. Hello, Craig. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Welcome. You're very welcome. It's lovely to see you again. You've helped us out before. And uh, so that's where we played a little bit there of the Cole U song because you're a Cole U fan. I am indeed. Yeah. For my sins. Yeah. So what's your backstory as a Cole U fan since birth? Well, close enough. I mean, I started going to Leia Road with my dad and family friends around probably 95, 96. Um, went to most home games and obviously the famous 96, 97 Football League trophy final at Wembley. Which right. didn't end so well, but fantastic day out nonetheless. <laughs> yes. Wonderful experience. Yes. And uh, went on and off during the mid-2000s and been going for my sins ever since. Now, you chose the music for this show for us. And the first piece of music we've already heard, uh, that's by them Crooked Vultures called Dead End Friends. What's, mm. the, what, what's that one chosen for? Well, I started attempting to learn guitar in lockdown and... Amongst looking at many tutorials on YouTube, I stumbled down a wormhole watching Dave Grohl, the fantastic musician he is, yeah, and stumbled across, across this uh, spin-off band, Them Crooked Vultures, and that's a, a very popular track and one that I enjoy listening to. 
Well, thank you for that. And we look forward to the, your other choices coming up during the course of the show. So you've been a Cole U fan, and like all football fans, it's been a bit of a topsy-turvy ride. Not necessarily for the performance on the pitch, but as a fan for the impact of COVID, of course. Mm. So what sort of story did that did that mean for the 2020-21 season that we've just come to the end of well I think pre-Covid I was I was busy watching the the fantastic Carabao Cup run through October and November oh, yeah. which was amazing wasn't it knocking Fabulous. out some of the <laughs> some of the big big guns of the yeah. of the footballing world <laughs> yeah um, good performances in the league of course as well sort of flirting with the playoffs for a bit we were and then uh, you know by the time the playoff final came around we were having to watch it silently on Sky Sports with no fans in the stadium yeah yeah and it's quite depressing um did you purchase a cardboard cutout of yourself to sit in the stands? I did not. No, I managed to uh, keep that £20 firmly in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so we went through the worst of COVID, I guess, when no one knew what was going on. And the season was stopped, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, restarted in the summer. I think June and July ended the season. And, and, and that was our experience of, uh, of behind closed doors football. Uh, a very short break and then the season uh, the new season started was it in September or October? Uh, I think it was September I think it was yeah. just before October yeah, yeah. end of September yeah. I believe yeah and so we've had a, a season uh, what's the word it's all pushed together the opposite of concertinas concertinas yeah and it's yeah. galloped along hasn't it, it has, yeah. yeah, it has but through the entire season uh, no matches with fans is that right? I believe so yeah yeah not yeah. at all no and and as with all seasons for Colu, it hasn't. And, and take COVID aside, it's been an up and down season, hasn't it? You could say that. I'd probably prefer to use the term hugely disappointing, but we'll go with up and down as well. <laughs> it's a season which we can almost count the uh, the number of managers on one hand. Mm. Um, <laughs> a lot of comings and goings. Come yeah. talk us through the comings and goings. Grant. Yeah, I mean, pl player wise, first of all, I, I didn't realise how much we'd miss the consistency of people like Ryan Jackson. You know, the seven out of ten performers every oh, week yeah. who weren't spectacular but did their job and seemed to never be injured. Um, I think he left a huge void at right back. I'm not convinced by Miles Welsh Hayes and Chamadou, the youth teamer, who's kind of coming in the. In the meantime, um, I think we miss Luke Prosser's no-nonsense defending. I think Smith Certainly coming do. in. I think personally for me, I thought um, Tommy Smith was going to be an upgrade on Prosser. You know, international for New Zealand, played pretty much his entire career at Championship for Ipswich. Hasn't, for me, really done the, done the job. Um, I think management-wise, I think... McGrill leaving, I thought with the squad he had, he probably should have done better than just scraping into the playoffs, personally. And I think um, when we went in and got Ball, I think he's a good coach, maybe not so great as a manager. And then Wayne Brown coming in for me was an internal, sort of a sideways internal hire. I don't think the it experience was a strange he had, hire, wasn't it? Yeah. He had some experience at Malden and Tiptree, but. You know, I think then sort of trying to get a club out of the mire. It is, didn't shout out ambition, did no, it? No, entirely different challenge. I think the internal re sort of recruiting from within can be a, an important way of maybe managing it because the play the, te the managers know the ins and outs of the club. But I'm not sure if if you're struggling to fall out of the football league. No. An inexperienced coach is really the way to go. No. And ball to Brown didn't seem to be a step in any direction, did no, it? No, I would agree. So we've seen a lot of comings and goings, maybe not necessarily that successful because at the end of this season, where have we found ourselves? Well, yeah, exactly. Scraping for Football League survival, which hasn't been ideal. Well, I will say some of the players that have come in, um, Wiradu from Charlton, I thought has looked fantastic, full of energy. Um, Shamal George, the backup goalkeeper, seems to be challenging Dee Gherkin for the number one shirt now been pretty good yeah he's done well as yeah. he comes in um, I think obviously management wise bringing in Mullins and Tisdale I think has been a master stroke I think that, that I wasn't expecting Tisdale to come in um, but I think with his experience Bristol Rovers perhaps not so good but certainly with Exeter he's shown that he has the clout to, to bring through youth players and do well in the lower leagues yeah yeah definitely so um, can you think of a best moment of the season well I think the, the win against South End was Absolutely invaluable. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably 
done the job for us. I think if you look at other teams, uh, Grimsby and Southend starting to pick up points in between those games, and then we go and beat Southend, and that's been a, a massive result. So that's probably a, the best game yeah, for me that, this that season. That was a clear moment, wasn't it? Yeah. Sent Southend down and, and meant survival for yeah, the Hughes. Absolutely. And, and until that, it had been very nerve jangling, hadn't it? It had, yeah. I think one winning 26 at, at one point in the season. A few yes. draws thrown in, but but certainly yeah. dreadful, wretched terrible, form. Terrible since Christmas. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, very briefly, what's next for Colu? Well, I, th- I mean, I would hope that we would be looking at next season a decent recruitment policy where we're looking at supplementing the youth team or the, the academy with first team players with a lot of players out of contract now it's an opportunity to rebuild and I mean I don't know how many of those players that we currently have are going to want to stick around on potentially lower wages from where they originally signed so yeah. I think it's an important time for the club to decide whether it's going to be another season of lead to mediocrity or whether they're going to really push for potential promotion yeah 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 and I guess the the decision pretty much comes from the man at the top doesn't it I think so yeah I think it's um, very much Robbie Cowling's never made a never hid away from from being very brutally honest about how he wants to run the club and I think that's certainly been divisive with some fans yeah, yeah. Well, we shall uh, we shall watch and see. Uh, we're going to have a chat about lots of other aspects of football because it's been a very interesting time for sport and football in particular, of course, during the last uh, 12 to 14 months. So before we do that, you're going to listen to your second piece of music. What's that? So music two is uh, Vanessa Carlton, A Thousand Miles. It's just a great feel-good song. Indeed, you are here listening to Craig with myself, Bill Lawrence, and Bob May. And thank you for coming in, uh, Craig. We talked about how Colchester United got on very briefly, what the season was like for them. But what a season it's been off the pitch for local football and national football and all sorts of football. Um, We briefly talked, didn't we, about the revolving door of managers coming and managers going. And uh, while that music was playing, we sort of said, well... 
the man in charge of Colchester is Robbie Cowling, um, and and it's really his show, isn't it? Who, who is this man, Robbie Cowling? Well, um, JobServe was his original. Um, money-making scheme i believe um, online recruitment consultancy company and, and think i think since then he's gone into other new various avenues of business and um as a chairman i mean he certainly says it how it is um i know that he's very divisive amongst a lot of people i speak to about whether or not they agree that he's doing a good job as chairman um but i think financially i think i trust what he's trying to do financially with the club but i think the debate is still out there of whether or not he's the right person to make all of those decisions regarding recruitment and financial uh, use I suppose and, and what the next step is yeah and and that's probably something you can say about many chairmen across the football league isn't it absolutely yeah um, it, they are an easy target I suppose the, the manager gets stick when the crowds are in the stadium but uh, it, it's the seems to be the chairman who takes the brunt of it over this last 12 months yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I would say that I think moving to the new stadium and um, the Florence Park uh, training facilities and then obviously the, the Category 2 youth setup are, are good things to have at this level. Um, but it's where we go with the next step. Yeah, they're, they're certainly amazing facilities, aren't they? And if the right talent comes through, then it's a very, very good model. Hmm. Um you're going to lose some if they are really bright but you would hope to be able to expose them at Colchester mm. as players before they move on and up yeah I think that's why staying in the football league was absolutely vital I think as soon as you drop out of the football league the academy is worth very little yeah yeah and the model has changed since we last dropped out of the league in the 90s that, absolutely yeah. that we were virtually the only full time club in the conference mm at that time but now there are quite a few aren't yeah, there who, think, aren't, who aren't in I the I think top. the majority of the National League now are full time full time teams are right, chasing yeah. that promotional dream so so it's not a, a given that someone dropping out is no. going to be able to fight back absolutely in absolutely not there's still no. teams like Wrexham down there Notts County big sides there are some famous names they shouldn't there? be playing yeah. in the fifth tier mm -hmm. how, how have you kept in touch and yourself and other fans kept in touch with with being able to watch the U's during lockdown and, and gates closed I think I follow has been quite good for the most part it links into BBC Essex commentary which has been been quite effective so it's a good way to watch live games and they have little sort of things on where you can win merchandise and stuff like that that's but, a subscription service yeah I think it's 10, 10 pound a game I think it is um, I think you can have uh, a subscription to that which is slightly reduced price if you buy all of the games across the season and, but, and do they publish uh, an attendance figure for that <laughs> I've never seen an attendance figure but Robbie Cowan is quite quick to point out that um, you only really start to get, generate revenue from that once there's a certain amount of people watching the game and I think it's very much biased towards the, the, the home team in that yeah. respect so yes. yeah. I think for some games we were getting no revenue whatsoever for away matches because right. obviously yeah. there's no travelling fans and there's no split of gate receipts or anything like that so it was purely the I follow revenue I don't know many people who've subscribed to it a good friend of ours and a good friend of Cone Radio Bryn has, has been a, a constant with it hasn't he yeah but there are other ways now social media does and allow fans to engage with them, each other, doesn't it? Have you it have does. you been following the use on Twitter and? I'm not. I'm not on any social networking sites now. Um, <laughs> but I'm, we've, I've got various WhatsApp groups, and there's obviously the Coach United message boards. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I think the trouble is with with sites like Twitter as well. Is it's. I mean, we've seen it internationally, haven't we? Is with the dreadful sort of racism and that's been targeted at some players. And I think it's a direct line to to people without with being able to hide behind a screen yeah so yeah. I think it's a good way to stay in touch absolutely but um, I've been following from afar yeah I, I'd agree closed whatsapp group between friends is fine mm. you can you can make serious comment or a humorous one but the public stuff is very dangerous and easily damaging yeah I would agree is there a a school of thought emerging on on the longer-term pattern of Colchester United, you know, in the last ten years since we hit the heady height, uh, hit the heady heights of Tier Two, it has been a downwards trajectory, hasn't it? It has, and I think um, people who are very anti-Cowling would be very quick to point that out. That since he's been at the helm, there's been uh, very little to to sort of celebrate the odd cup run and Spurs twice and Manchester United in the Carabao Cup but apart from that league wise there's been very little to to cheer about I think um, 
I'm, I'm hoping that this will really just be a blip of a season but I think that depends entirely on the investment in the senior squad this season and whether or not we can keep Mullins and Tisdale I think we need some investment in the first team and recruitment has to be spot on this season if we're going to make a push Is it, is it something to be learnt from looking at the teams that have got promotion you know the Cambridges what are they doing right that we're not well I mean Robbie pointed out a, a month or so ago didn't he before a game he came on to BBC Essex and said uh, you know if, if I if we go down then it's my money and I'll need to do something about it but he was very quick to point out that last year pre-Covid we were close to breaking even as a football club with the academy and the very sort of tightening of the purse strings but I think a lot of clubs seem to be doing okay regardless of that so I don't know whether we're just next season we are literally going to rock up the table because we are so brilliant financially or whether other teams have found other ways around it I, I can't really figure that one out but you know the mighty Morecambe and the mighty Cambridge are not really the side you'd expect to be getting promotion from the from well, certainly the not and not from what we saw at Cambridge the season before exactly when they were struggling yeah, exactly they? I mean a couple of shrewd signings I mean Wes Houlihan former Premier League player for Norwich and mm -hmm. they've made a couple of shrewd signings but I think Robbie was quite quick to tighten the purse strings and made it very clear that he wanted to take the financial hit this year so that yes. next year we're in a very good position so now it's time to put his money where his mouth is and, and really make sure the recruitment is strong yeah so it's been a season without any fans in the ground hopefully this, the fans will be allowed back in but will the fans be still following I mean I think this season staying up will be considered a positive I suppose in an otherwise dreary season but I think again good recruitment will create a bounce but I think we'd need to follow that up with some good early season performances if you're going to get the fans through the doors yeah and some decent beer <laughs> well that would help that would definitely help it would make a difference yeah. I mean the the um the, the pub well, if I say the pub the supporters bar they opened up was essentially just a conference room with a few shirts hung on the wall yeah. so I think they could probably do a bit better yes. I'm hoping as that area of culture starts to build up there will be more options because there's a bit of a dull place to go on a cold Tuesday night and yeah. an hour before kickoff you end up sitting in hot shots yes paying it six is. quid for a watered down coffee absolutely <laughs> alright well <laughs> we can always hope we always hope now you've you've um I got another piece of music uh, slightly related to music number one so what's music number three uh, music number three is uh, the Foo Fighters the Foo Fighters Everlong yeah another one which is uh, Dave Grohl at the helm of Foo Fighters uh, another very popular song and one that uh, I'm a big fan of
Hello, I'm Bill Lawrence. Join me every Tuesday evening at 8 and Sunday night at 10 for my Big Bag of Onions, the unique radio program of original 100-word stories written by our listeners, interspersed with undeservedly unfamiliar and gorgeous music. And in this series of Bill's Big Bag of Onions, each week we present our ongoing tale from Colchester to Sulawesi, the dramatised true story of the Phil and Paula who left their safe life in Colchester to risk everything in the unknown and beautiful jungle wilderness of Southeast Asia. That's Bill's Big Bag of Onions with me, Bill Lawrence, here on Colm Radio. Listening to Red Button here on Colm Radio 106.6 FM. Red Button, late night conversation over a dipple or two. Welcome back to Red Button. Hope you're enjoying your tipple or two. And we are here with Craig Barker, the football fan's football fan. Nice to see you, Craig. Thank you for coming in. And Bob May, of course, as well. And we heard another of your choices of music there, Craig. What was that loud one? That was Motorhead Line in the Sand. Great band. Yeah. I believe they were often labelled as metal, but um, Motorhead were very adamant they were rock and roll. Yeah. But uh, I used to watch a lot of wrestling as a child, and Motorhead used to create some great entrance music for some of those 90s wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> that, was one of the, that was one of the entrance the tracks. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, we've been talking football. We've talked about Colchester United's season. We've talked about the impact of the closed doors and the pandemic and the, and the differences it's sort of created. Um, but it's been interesting, hasn't it, for players and officials in the game to do what they do but without that sort of pressure from from crowds mm. and I think it's made a difference well how, how do you feel it is a has it affected do you think decisions and the way people play I think it has I think for example Fergie time I don't think it quite has the same effect at MTL no. Trafford as it would have done with uh, you know, a significant number of people shouting. Um, although, you know, I think VAR takes away some of that now, doesn't it? That does. Every decision is overanalyzed. Yeah. Well, there's no VAR at uh, League Two level. No, not even any goal line technology. <laughs> no. Always well, I'm the willing bottom. to stand there next season and you know <laughs> have a no, look at it. Didn't go in. closely. <laughs> so um, there is evidence that research for what it's worth has been done to show that referees of sporting contests are affected by the social pressure and consequently no home crowd intimidating the referees has led to uh, 
sort of a difference, uh, the advantage that the home teams always were considered to have has dissipated slightly. It uh, does seem to have, doesn't it? And certainly results across the four divisions have, mm. have shown that, that games that would have, in many seasons, be home bankers haven't planned, panned out that way. Mm. <clears throat> I'd imagine the betting companies have had quite a field day this season with teams piling money yeah. on people like Liverpool at Anfield and yeah. then they go and get beaten. And so, yeah. as you said, bankers in previous years just hasn't, hasn't gone that way no, this year. No, definitely hasn't. And referees have probably been able to make their decisions um, without, without that they've been able to be more impartial. Um, there certainly is pressure on the officials a lot of the time. Yeah. And... and I wonder if this affects players' mental health. I mean, potentially, yeah. I think there's players who, I think, thrive on the fan pressure, potentially. I think yeah. Harry Pell, Colchester specifically, I think someone who's perhaps a limited technical player, but he's a very passionate guy, wears his yeah. heart on his sleeve, and I'd imagine some of them, I think it might be quite difficult to get motivated for games that are essentially like under-23 fixtures, where yeah. there's just no... Yeah no fans I was watching the Champions League matches yesterday and it's just strange Champions League semi-final and it's absolutely silent in the stadiums yeah, very odd <clears throat> well it's less it's, it's more silent than we see when we're watching on the television because we're we're blessed with the uh, add-on they, they, they put the crowd noise oh, the very on. realistic crowd noise yeah, that <laughs> yeah someone has to quickly press stop when a goal <laughs> when a shot hits the side netting it shouldn't actually be a cheer well this, is, yeah, this yeah. has been contracted out there's a company of specialists who do this wow. and they prepare for each for each game and they've got something like 80 sounds lined up for that particular game that they think will be good and this is a it's not a sporting uh, um, company that do it they're a sort of filmmaking company mm. and they have someone there who's very skilled who's almost playing the sounds like a piano keyboard wow. he's just looking at all the monitors mm. he's not at the game he's in the TV centre yeah. I'd imagine at the Emirates he doesn't have to do a thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and certainly on the BBC when you can switch to the channel that doesn't have crowd noise do you prefer that book? I prefer it um, but it it makes you realise how many uh, so-called essential people are in the ground at some of the bigger matches because mm. there's a decent amount of shouting when something exciting does happen so there's a miniature version of that home advantage but it's predominantly gone hasn't it yeah I think to, to more seriously though what, but what impact is this going to have on uh, the lack of live football on, on kids for example you know well, you said Craig you, went, you started going to football at a very early age mm. I mean I think I think it's going to potentially if, if people aren't going to live football they're going to be perhaps getting that fix from games that are televised so you might see less less young people getting drawn into the local club which I think for cultures is a big issue I think we're a very large commuter town but our solid fan base you know two two and a half thousand most games you don't have a particularly large fan base for the size of the town so if people aren't going to live games is that going to have an impact on their ability to follow the local side are they going to switch to something else sports wise gaming you know social media what's going to be the focus that's possible there's always the it is easy to kick a ball round you know anything a stone anything mm. that's roundish um, and I think youngsters are still keen on that aspect of it mm. the people who are moving into culture and creating the growth have probably got their own teams yeah um, and we're never going to be able to attract someone from the higher division supporters until it gets to the point where they can't go to the game of their choice um, yeah. my cousin in Manchester could never get a ticket for United so he started following Berry, mm. so that his son could experience mm. a decent level of football yeah I think it's difficult with us being so close as well to some of the big clubs in London especially I mean West Ham are doing really well this season yeah. so I, th I think you know if you know in a pre-COVID universe being able to be an hour away from a Premier League team on a train is, is could probably be an allure for some people if they want to watch top flight football but it's not just uh, a ban in the last year on watching football it's been a ban until very recently on playing football mm, grassroots yeah absolutely. so you know I learnt to play football when I was five or six I was running up and down in a little local team at that age seven maybe you know and we were all pretending to be Bobby Moore and Jeff Hurst and Jimmy Green you won't remember those people Craig but who? Gary Lineker <laughs> oh yeah I know that guy I met him today <laughs> that's the one and 
Um, so what are those kids are doing? And, and that was such great uh, opportunity for exercise and socialization and a community to build up. I was in a little team, Brentwood Juniors we were in. And, you know, I got to know my parents, got to know other parents and yeah. still know them. Very good socially, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. And I think that sort of thing builds a lot of resilience in young people as well. I think it's it's a good way to learn. Um, you know the ups and downs and and you know playing your best having a bad game how do you pick yourself up I think there's a lot of a lot of skills there life skills that you don't necessarily learn by just going to school there's a lot of skills there that potentially kids are not going to have the opportunity to not the least of which is teamwork absolutely yeah Yeah. Yeah. well the good news is that this is not going to be forever and and we hopefully this will flood back and and these children will pick up what they haven't, haven't been able to for the last few months let's keep up yeah. I'm certainly very doubtful of the um, the now abandoned ESL's claim that a big percentage of under 24 year olds aren't interested in football they may have forgotten about it temporarily because circumstances have forced them to but it's not just going to go away like that in young people there isn't anything massive to replace it is there no or to take to take their interest elsewhere mm. well let's listen to your next piece of football then Craig and that piece of music <laughs> piece of football music <laughs> so this is some 41 tell it us is. about some 41 so some 41 um, they were a band that were very big in my school years very popular band amongst my friends at the time and this is in too deep is the eclectic and original magazine and music show broadcast live every week from Studio One here at Colm Radio Towers. You've outsmarted me yet again once more. Are we part of the problem? A friend of mine met an archaeologist in a pub in George Street in Edinburgh. There's your history lesson. And I was looking forward to eating the lot. What was that dream about now? You can live to be a hundred if you give up all the things that make you want to live to be a (laughs) hundred. Anyway... Hideous towns by the Sundays. <laughs> Box 39, every Thursday evening at 8 o'clock here on Cold Radio.
Why did you choose that last piece of music? It was by someone called Evanescence. Evanescence, Bring Me to Life. Yeah, great melody. Another song I enjoyed listening to in my school years. Uh, another uh, band who used to do a lot of stuff for the for the big wrestling events, and that's one that sort of stuck in my mind from all those years ago. Well, thank you for that. That was very good. So, uh, football and COVID, it's a bit of a theme of tonight's chat, and we can't avoid the economics of it, really. Uh, just some very quick fact here since the start of lockdown grassroots football clubs income has dropped by 46 percent on average uh more than one in ten clubs have seen their income reduced by 95 to 100 percent and a 10 percent of clubs say they have no choice but to close now these are not professional clubs but you know the whole range of clubs down to your sunday morning under sevens team what what what's the the impact what what's going on economically with football at the moment and COVID? I mean, you summed it up in those stats. You know, I think it seems to be the, the lower league clubs who are really struggling. I think if you're a top flight club, you've got the bank balance of, you know, oil rich nations and billionaire owners. So I don't think it's been too much of a problem for them. And, and they've obviously had their Sky and BT revenue from the from the TV rights. But but the lower teams have really struggled. You know, we had teams like um, Barrow who had to sort of furlough half their half their team. I mean, I think they went out and signed another, a new set of team and they've done much better as a result of it, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're in a position where they, you know, had to sort of furlough staff and uh, it's, yeah. been a, it's, be, it's been a big problem for a lot of the lower league clubs. Yeah, a much bigger problem at the lower league because, of course, the, the big six have always said that their gate money is almost irrelevant in the scheme of things. Yeah. Whereas for ocean, clubs like Brantingsea and Wivenhoe, selling a pie and a cup of tea is a critical part of their income isn't it I think teams like Dagenham and Redbridge who who have I think like four members of full time staff and the rest are all part time and yeah, you know right. trying to survive as a club at, at that level when there's no money coming in no, whatsoever that's, that's very difficult it's got to be difficult 
Of course, Dagenham and Redbridge is where West Ham ladies play. Yeah. West Ham women. <laughs> West Ham women. Yeah. West Ham women. Yeah. 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 So will we see things like teams merging, do you think? Or disappearing? I, I mean, teams disappearing, absolutely. I, I can't see the merging of teams catching on. I think MK Dons, you remember, did the uproar of some <laughs> yes. of Wimbledon fans when they relocated and became the Dons. I, we're not, I can't see franchise no, approach to football. Coventry trying to float around the country. That's it. I, I can't just, see a franchise approach to football catching on. It, it's exactly the argument that has been expressed with the ESL, isn't it? That mm. it is about wanting to support something local to you. So yeah. a merger has no character, does it? Uh, it's it's a worse thing of changing grounds and losing the history and the romance and the tightness of a, a small ground going to a big ground. It doesn't doesn't work as well always. No, I think we see it in America with American sports, but that's the setup's entirely different with the draft process and a very much a closed group of this is it. You know, you think of the National Basketball yeah. Association, you have yeah. your teams and that is it. There's no promotion, no relegation. No. You all have the same budget as how you use it and I can't see a franchise approach and merger really and, uh, catching on. Yeah, in America the franchises are not necessarily connected to the communities, are they? They've had not at all. East Coast teams that have been relocated to yeah, Los Angeles absolutely. yeah well mm-hmm. I follow basketball quite closely and you had the Seattle Supersonics move to Oklahoma City and it's kind of like that's a <laughs> hell of a shift <laughs> yeah. nobody's you know, going to go and see those no, games that's it, but it? it's just well we'll just pick you up and move you somewhere else and yeah. So. And so a merger's tradition in this country would be with your intense fan fan rivals. Yeah, can you imagine a Colchester United South End partnership going yeah, down an absolute wow. treat? Yeah. Or Ipswich yeah. and Colchester even. Ipswich yeah. and Norwich. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, what's your next piece of music then, Craig? Next piece of music is uh, Aretha Franklin, Respect. A wonderful feel-good song. A very popular civil rights activist fighting for justice and equality. listening to Red Button on Colm Radio 106.6 FM. We are back here and you're listening to Red Button, our later evening conversation live from Studio One with myself, Bill Lawrence, with Bob May and with our special guest, Craig Barker. So what is next then? We're looking, we've been looking back. Let's now look a bit forward. We're sort of coming to the uh, midstream of a vaccination program very successfully, possibly moving towards herd immunity and uh, rumblings that football fans are going to be allowed back in. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I'm kind of divided on the subject, really. I'm not sure how 
how you're going to ensure safety for everybody in that situation. I mean, you can't you can't force people who feel uncomfortable to get a jab. Yeah. And I think there's a very much a, divi- a division on whether or not COVID certificates are a valid way of proving that you are jabbed up. No. So, I mean, I'm a bit torn really as to whether or not it's going to be a success and, and how you go about making sure that people can stay safe. So, uh, but they are talking about fans at the last two rounds match days of the EPL which I think is on a possibly on a Friday and a Sunday or a Thursday and a Sunday something like that in about a week's time or two weeks time not not very long mm. um, they won't be as we will remember I think it's a limited number of fans isn't it yes I believe so um, um, but this is a big outdoor experience shouldn't that be healthy it's, it's outdoor but the the stairways the understand refreshment and toilet areas probably aren't as spaced or as airy um, there's also an argument that is it fair to the away team having not had the equivalent advantage yeah yeah well Euro 2020 coming up as well in 2021 <laughs> Yeah, we wouldn't have paid for more rebranding. We've already paid that. We've already paid that bill. Stick it as it is. Yes. Just hope no one notices. And uh, originally, a most ambi- ambitious project, wasn't it? It was going to be played across 16 countries across Europe. Yeah. From uh, Madrid and Lisbon, I believe. I believe so. To, to, yeah. to um, uh, all the way across to Turkey. Yeah. All the way up to uh, the Scandinavian countries. And for some reason, Britain managed to blag the semi-finals and the final, mm-hmm. I believe. But is that completely the wrong model as we're still moving towards herd immunity? Surely the less countries would be safer, the fewer countries, I should say. Yeah, I think COVID did scupper that plan, it. didn't it, really? Yeah. Um, I think uh, the reason it was chosen to be that is it's just too expensive for one country, one football authority to, mm. to run at them a, a, a big competition like that, rather like the Olympics and the World Cup now going to more than one host. Indeed. Uh, be interesting to see what happens. How would you feel, though, uh, Craig, actually going into a, a, a big stadium, <laughs> not, not like the, uh, the community stadium, I mean, like a big stadium with 30,000, 40,000, 50,000? Well, again, I suppose it depends on how it's managed. I mean, I think for me, I've been very careful throughout the whole pandemic. So are they going to make you go within a certain bubble? You you said yourself, Bob, about, um, you know, toilet areas, refreshments. What's going to be the how is that going to be managed? Yeah, I think a lot of people are looking forward to getting back to some element of normality. But I think it very needs to be carefully managed. So we don't end up with the situation last year with the sort of eat out to help out, which caused another surge in infections. Certainly did. Yes, Germany have introduced or say they've introduced a model where fans can return to open air grounds, but there will be no alcohol and you've got to wear masks and uh, tests as you go in and uh, you're, you're on your honour to do a test when you get home. I mean, the mask thing is, is, for me, a bit not quite right in as much as you, I've watched the Carabao Cup final on TV and it pans to the fans and they pull them down and start chanting. So, yeah. I mean, the, fa- the yeah. mask thing's a bit yeah. of a cop-out. It's another yeah. sort of layer to say we're trying to do the, trying to put safety in mind, but I'm not convinced that's the no. best method. And, and how do you uh, determine an open-air ground? Hmm. Is the community stadium with open corners open, or is it actually worse because the wind can blow right across the stand from one cough? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's been interesting this this whole past season. Something uh, I, I talked to you about, uh, Bob, earlier, and, and, and we've talked uh, about this, Craig, this idea that this is actually an opportunity rather than a threat, this whole COVID thing. I think so, yeah. I think it's an opportunity for a lot of clubs to get their house in order, so to speak. I think certainly for the lower league clubs, it's an opportunity to take stock about, you know, are our finances really in the right place? And it's an opportunity to maybe try and do more initiatives locally to get fans through the doors. So I think it can be spun, it can be a positive. But we'll yeah. have to wait and see how that's, how that's managed club to club basis. And we've seen, we've seen a sort of sports socialism. Um, we saw Boris interfering with the European Super League. Mm. We've seen our government interfering with all our lives to a degree we wouldn't have thought possible. Mm. And we've all mm. accepted that. And, you know, we've lived through the most socialist government since the Second World War um, in terms of how it has controlled our lives. 
you know, big state, isn't it? Yes, His it big, is. big it brother is. has been watching yeah. us, and yeah. you know, you're you're not allowed to stand within a meter of someone by law. You can't go on holiday by law. You can't, you know, you have to wear a mask by law. Pubs had to close. So we've had these amazing acts of um, of socialism of, of the state controlling our lives for the for our greater good. Do you think that's going to now move into football? Well, I mean, you know, as you said yourself, Boris piping up about the big six is is, is certainly um, I was very surprised to see him getting involved in that I thought well no I thought he'd come out and say we've got far more important things to worry about we're not interested in, oh, in trying yeah. to scupper this but uh, I mean perhaps you know maybe the kind of community aspects of thing grassroots community stadia community pitches is there going to be financing involved in that from the ground up or is it simply going to be what it was before of the big clubs have the money and the little clubs just have to fight for every penny that drops down Mm. Yeah, um, that that's certainly the model that we've been used to, isn't it? Mm. There, there was an opportunity for COVID to create a global crash, yeah, and bring bring the whole pyramid back to sensible money. Mm. Uh, but uh, I think we we've kind of seen that football mimics the economic model of the time, which is that money seems to conquer all. And there's kind of a them and us mentality with yeah. the big six, and I think well, you know, the Super League. I just think the cherry cherry on the cake, really. Yeah. Yeah, really. yeah, and you don't think it was Boris thinking, oh, all these football fans are voters, aren't they? Well, they are voters. Well, you know what? And perhaps it's something well he understood be. a bit better than other things. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's hope the trickle down becomes a stream and a raging torrent and it, it floods us at grassroots level. Yeah, and contributes to Colchester's revitalisation. Let's hope so. Well, thank you so much, Craig, for coming in tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure once more for you to come and, and talk to us. Thank you for having me. And we're going to end with your last piece of music. So if you'd like to tell us about this. This is Leanne Rhymes, How Do I Live? A little nod to what it might be like to live without our beloved Cole U. Button is a guppy production for Colne Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. <laughs>